seats, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. When I was preparing and studying Jeremiah chapter 29, I purposely went in with the mindset that we would not focus on verses 11 through 13. And you can see the focus of the lesson is on verses 11 through 13. Reason being, Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 13 are, dare I say, some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Just look at Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 13. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love those verses. Part of the reason why I didn't want to focus on it is because we talk about those verses all the time. I, I went back and I looked. I don't know how many times in just the last few weeks I've either emailed or texted those verses to people. Because any time you're in a change of scenery of life, be it jobs, be it kids, be it situation, be it health, be it whatever, these verses are so key to know that God has a plan for you. He does. So I purposely went into this message thinking, okay, we're going to hit those verses. We can't ignore them, the good verses, but let's talk about the rest of the chapter. And so as I was thinking about the rest of the chapter and praying over it, everything went back to those verses. You can't skip it. The context of those verses, if you look here in Jeremiah chapter 29, this is a letter that Jeremiah writes, led by the Lord, to those that have been taken captive and are going to be in Babylon. So he's sending this letter to them, basically saying, listen, you did the right thing. Remember, we've been talking about this for the last few chapters. What a difficult situation. Jeremiah has been saying, Babylon's coming, you can't do anything about it, just suck it up and take it, and God will take care of you. The false prophets are coming and saying, nope, that's not going to happen, God will defeat Babylon, trust us. So what happened is, Babylon came. Babylon defeated him. Babylon took them captive, just like Jeremiah said. So he writes this letter to those in captivity, basically saying, trust the plan. Don't listen to the false teaching. Don't listen to the false prophets. And that's how the second half of Jeremiah 29 ends. He calls out some false prophets. You see that there in verse 24. He calls them out and says, listen, you guys promised these things were going to happen. They didn't. Right now, you're in Babylon. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Trust God's plan. So smack dab in the middle of this are these wonderful passages of saying trust God's plan. Now, none of us here are being taken captive by Babylon. We're not going to be slaves in a foreign country for the next 70 years. We're not. But the same verses still apply for us today. Some of you are in the midst of life changes, be it jobs, be it relationships, be it kids. Some of you are in the midst of life changes, be it health. Some of you are in a spiritual dark spot. Some of you are in a spiritual high spot. And you don't know what the next step is. These verses are perfect to say God has a plan for you. And this is not just some Christian little God has a plan for you. No, God has a plan for you. Now, too often, when we go to these verses, we go to them for wisdom. And I think that's great. There's wisdom here. But the key context of this is when you are doubting God's plan for you, these verses are here to remind you that even though the world looks very dark, looks very dim, looks very difficult, God has a plan for you. So let's break these verses down. Verse 11. 
I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. First point, God thinks about you. Now think about that. God thinks about you. Can you remember back to when you were in some little lovey-dovey relationship with somebody? And you were writing little notes back and forth to them. And you were calling them. And you were doing all this other type of stuff. And when someone says, I was thinking of you, your heart melted. And awe, you were thinking of me. God thinks about you. Okay, God, God has about six billion people in the world right now. That's not including the billions of people that are still existing, be it in heaven or hell. And that's not including the people that are still going to come into existence because he's God. So out of billions and billions and billions and billions of people, God still thinks about you. I think that's pretty cool. Now, you may not be the type of person that that makes your heart all mushy and you're like, oh, God thinks about me. But he does. Because to be quite honest, you're really not that important. In the whole scheme of the world, you are not that important. And, And let's just be perfectly blunt, and I'm not trying to be negative here. If you would cease to exist... Yes, your circle of friends, hopefully your church, your friends, your family, would notice you. But halfway around the world, halfway around the next state, no one's going to notice. But God notices, and God thinks about you. That's amazing. So when you're sitting here wondering, should I take that job? Should I do this in that relationship? Should, Should I do this? God's thinking right along with you. Look at these verses here. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now, I put three references down because it's used three different times in the Bible. And as we've said many times out here, if God says something once, it's important. If he says it twice, really pay attention. If he's saying the same thing three different times in the Bible, really pay attention. It is a huge deal that God would stop to think about mankind. He thinks about you. We have to hit that point hard. Now, go to the next one here. Depending on your translations, I try to put the different words. Some translation says, I know the thoughts. Some of the translation says, I know the plans. Look at our first point. God has a purpose and plan for you. He does. You are not just wandering aimlessly in this world. You are not just clocking in at work, clocking out at work, going home, paying bills, and repeating it the next day and the next day. There is a deeper plan and purpose to your life, and He has a plan for you. He has. Now you may say, well, what is that plan? We'll get to that in a little bit. But the first thing you need to realize is you just aren't here. You are not some freak of creation. There is a purpose and a plan for you. God says, I want to use you in this divine purpose in life. What is that divine purpose? I can't answer that for you. And if you ever come to me saying, what is my purpose in life? The first thing I would do is give you Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, and tell you, I can't answer that. I can only answer what my plan and purpose is in life. I can't say what your plan and purpose is. You need to spend time with the Lord to reveal that, and we'll get to that point. Next point goes back to that word think. God has thought this plan out for you. It's not that God's up in heaven saying, what am I going to do with James? He has a plan for me that is thought out and that's prepared, and it's really good. Now, your definition of good may be different than God's definition of good. But it's a really good plan. So the first thing we have to establish here is that these people, these prisoners, these captives in a foreign country that are slaves, 
Jeremiah's telling them, God has not forgot you, God still thinks about you, and God has a plan for you. Same thing still applies to us today in 2013. God thinks about you, He has a plan for you, and He knows it. So let's go to the next phrase here. God has a plan for you. Two verses we just wanted to share, Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 119.68, You are good and do good. God has a plan, and it's a good plan. Now, this is where we have to talk about the definition of good. Your good plan may be a six-figure income, a 3,000-square-foot house, no debt, a really attractive spouse, really obedient kids, and a really obedient dog. That may be your idea of a good plan. God's good plan may be suffering. God's good plan may be you will be hit with life situations that no one could bear, and you'll be able to bear them through the grace of God, and that's part of your light and witness to other people. See, your definition of good is not necessarily God's definition of good. Look at the book of Job. No one would say what happened to Job was good. No one, as we say out here all the time, we want to study Job, we want to learn about Job, but no one wants to live like Job. But what happened to Job was good. Now, how can I say that? Because Psalm 119.68 says, you are good and do good. So that was a divine purpose that happened to Job, or his world completely fall apart. So, when someone comes up to me, and they call me, and they say, I got the test results from the doctor, and it is fill in the blank. I can still say to them, God has a plan for your life. When someone comes up and says, I've worked so hard at this relationship and this marriage, and he still wants to leave, and I'm crushed, I can say, God still has a plan and purpose for your life. Your definition of good may not be God's definition of good. And this is where we start to argue with God. And this is where we as Christians sometimes fail. Because we have designed our own plan for good. And so when our plan for good does not work out, therefore God is bad. Just because God did not do what you asked Him to do does not make Him bad. You have to trust the big picture. I wish that big picture could be revealed to you, but sometimes it's not. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say, look at my life, look at Dawn's life, look at what we've been through, and say, you know what, there's a perfect example of this or that, because you know what, each suffering is unique. And what you go through, I may look at and say, it's not that big a deal. To you, it's huge. What I go through, you may say, James, you're really saying that's a big deal? To me it may be, to you it may not. We have to trust. And all of us have been in the middle of darkness. I've shared this story with you before and I'll share it with you again real quick. I can remember when Dawn and I were trying to have children and we couldn't. We were having miscarriage after miscarriage. And I remember distinctly Dawn sitting on our couch in our house. And this was after another miscarriage and it looked like we were never going to have children. And I went up to her and I said, are you angry? And she said, yes. And I said, are you angry at God? And she said, no. I said, well, what are you angry at? She goes, I'm just angry. And I remember us reading the passage in Isaiah 55, where God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And, and, and I remember this, this idea here of what God was doing. And at that moment, I would not have said God's plan was good. I would not have said it was great. I would say it was pretty bad. And then we were blessed. And we had Elias. And I look back and I think, okay, if we would have had some of those other children, which are wonderful blessings, and I can't imagine meeting them in heaven, we wouldn't have had Elias. 
And I've kind of grown attached to Elias. I like him. And after we had Elias, Dawn got pregnant again. And we lost that baby. And I thought, now, Lord, this is not really fair. We've already been through the whole loss thing. Haven't we walked enough in the Job shoes for a while? Okay, now we can minister to other people. We know what it's like. We've been through that difficulty. This is not good. And we still have moments like that. You have moments like that where it's just, this is not good. Lord, how can we say this is good? Look at the words that God uses to describe this. The plan that he has for us are peace. Some translations say peace, good, prosper. You have had things happen in your life, had things happen in my life, that I do not think fall under the umbrella of peace, good, and prosper. But look at our point. This plan is what is best for you and the kingdom. See, if God says, James, through your suffering, you will have a stronger witness for more souls to come into the kingdom, isn't it worth it? Well, in theory it is. In practicality, can't somebody else suffer? <laughs> Let them suffer. Use Pastor Rich as an example of suffering. And people could go know him. No, I want to use you. This plan is what is best for you for the kingdom. And I stop and I think, Lord, this plan is not good. I think this plan is bad. Look at the next phrase. Thoughts of peace. Not of evil. Some translations, evil, disaster, harm. This plan is not a hindrance to you. I don't know how many times people have come up to me and say, I don't know what I've done wrong, but God must hate me. Why? Well, look at my life. Look how my health is falling apart. Look how my marriage is falling apart. Look how everything is falling apart. What have I done to deserve all this? Nothing. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says he thinks good towards you. Well, this sure isn't good. Well, what's your definition of good? Well, my definition of good is I wouldn't have got that diagnosis. I wouldn't have got hurt. I wouldn't have lost that job. I would have kept that relationship. That's your definition of good. What's God's definition of good? See, this whole thing of Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 is based off of God's definition of good. It's not evil. It's not disaster. It's not harm. If you have convinced yourself that God hates you and He's brought all these horrible things into your life to, to just be mean, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because Jeremiah 29 makes it clear. He has a plan for you to be good, peaceful, prosper, not evil, not disaster, not harm. And look at the last one here. To give you a future and a hope. Now, good old King Jamesers, what does yours say? To give you an extended something, right? Expected end. That's a neat translation. It just doesn't flow real well in our, in our normal language. But God says, I have an end for you. There is an end of this. There is a future and a hope. And God says, this plan is what is best. Now, here's the thing. I can't make you believe this. I can't. You can sit here and listen to this and still walk out of here tonight saying, I disagree. My life is miserable. My life is awful. My life is horrible. And this is all God's fault. If that's what you choose to believe, there's nothing I can do to convince you of anything else. I can only show you Jeremiah 29, 11. And says that God says, He thinks of you. He has a good plan for you. It's not an evil plan. And it gives you hope. You either believe that promise or you don't. This letter is written... To once again, slaves, captives, refugees stuck in a foreign country that do not see an end. God says, I still got a plan for you. You've got to trust the plan. So that's the first part of this teaching here. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about any of that before we go on? Carol.
Agreed. Right. Right. I agree with you 100%. That, that was the original plan. The original plan was for us to be in the Garden of Eden, to not have the curse, to not have sin, to not have any of that. I agree with you 100%. When sin came in the world, it brought in the curse. It brought in death, disease, sickness. It brought all those things in. But even in a cursed, fallen world, God still says, I have a plan for you that you have to trust that plan. I think sometimes what happens... And I've seen this before, and, 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 I, and I don't mean to make it sound like I have all the answers, but I distinctly remember one time visiting a guy in jail. And I remember visiting him in jail, and he was looking at a lot of time. And we sat across from the table there, and we started talking about God, and he was just overwhelmed with what the future held. So I showed him, told him Jeremiah 29, 11. And I remember him saying, well, what type of good plan is this? What type of good plan is this that I'm here? Now, please don't think I'm singling out sin. I don't mean it that way. But I told him, I said, well, you know what? If you wouldn't have gone out and drove drunk and got into an accident, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. That wasn't God's plan. Because you did something stupid, there's ramifications to stupidity. So sometimes what happens for us as Christians, if I go home and I treat Dawn awful, and I yell at her, I cuss at her, I scream at her, if she gets anywhere near as me, I just, just lose it, I can't come to the pastor and say, why doesn't my wife love me? Well, your wife doesn't love you because you're a jerk. That's not God's plan. Those are, those are ramifications to me and how I choose to live. We have to sometimes as Christians realize God has a plan for you. It's a great plan. It will prosper you. It will bring you peace. It will not bring you evil, disaster, harm. It will bring you a future and a hope. You have the free will to say, I reject that plan, and I choose to live life on my own. Well, then you reject God's plan. There is no promise of peace, good, prosperity. Because you have rejected that plan, and you chose to go live on your own plan. It's the same thing. Go back to that verse of Romans 8, 28. We know all things that work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That verse is wonderful if you're a believer and saved and walking in Jesus. If you're a non-believer, and you come up to me, and you say, I'm not saved, why are all these things happening to me? I, I can't give you that verse. Because you have chosen to walk outside of God's perfect plan for you. And I know that gets into this gray area of, well, it's God's will. Well, it's not God's will. Anytime we live a life in sin, we're going to walk out of God's plan for us. And it's going to create problems and storms in our life. Now, that doesn't mean just because you have a Job moment that you've done some unconfessed sin. And I've seen Christians struggle with that. They come in, my life is falling apart. What am I doing wrong? Well, maybe you're not doing anything wrong. Maybe God is allowing these events to happen to your life because it's going to serve a further good. But back to what, what Carol was saying there. The plan was peace, protection, perfection, Garden of Eden. Sin messed that plan up, and now we live in a fallen, cursed world. So does anybody else have any quick questions, comments about any of this? Ron? Does God punish you for past sins? Uh, there is a discipline for sinning. If you're saying like 20 years down the road, all of a sudden you're going to get smacked up the side of the head for what you did decades ago, is that what you're saying? There is a punishment to past actions. And I think sometimes we tend to forget that there is a discipline to that. Going back to the example I used with Dawn, if I am not being a loving husband, a consequence of not being a loving husband is I'm not going to probably have a loving wife. 
if I am a horrible father, part of the consequence is that I'm probably not going to have a relationship with my kids. I mean, it just there, there is a consequence to what we do. So is God punishing you for sin? Sometimes he does. The Bible makes that clear. But I think more of the times God says there's a consequence to your actions. And sometimes I think we have a tendency to look at consequence and punishment, and we combine them. I'm a firm believer in free will, and God says, you know what, James, I will let you make choices that are not godly, that are not beneficial, that are not biblical. And as you see your life spiral downward, that will hopefully get your attention. Is that punishment? Maybe in the broadest sense, but sometimes it's also consequences to me just doing what I think is best. Anybody else have anything? Rose? Mm-hmm. Uh, God was not Yeah, God is good and do good. Yeah, it's not we're we're not good and do good. No. Yes, he, the psalmist is speaking to the Lord on that, and I and I think there is a good point here coming up that we need to clarify the difference between consequences and punishment. When God does discipline us, and it's a biblical fact that the Lord disciplines us, Hebrews 12 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's uh, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Discipline by God is never evil, disaster, or harmful. Discipline by God is a loving action to get your attention, to get you back on the right path. Consequences to sin can be evil, disastrous, and harmful because those are things that I brought upon my own life. So when God does choose to discipline me as his spiritual son, it will be done in love and it will be for a greater good. If I step out of God's will and I decide to live my life on my own, I can bring evil, disaster, and harm into my life because I'm allowing consequences to my actions to come in. Does that mean God can't use those consequences? No, he can still use it. But I also can't sit there and say, Lord, why? Because he'll say, James, you chose this. And and I know it sounds like we're uh, splitting hairs there, but it's not. If we stay in God's will, if we walk in his plan, his plan is good, prosperous, and peaceful. If we step out of his plan, we're really saying, Lord, I want to live my life on my own rules and regulations, and that's just going to cause problems. Anybody else have anything to say about this before we move on? Yeah. Okay. That's my feeling. Okay. Now, but you're saying he's got a 
Sometimes I don't get the plan. Well, I, mean, I, don't I know. I understand what you're saying. For us, right. But we are doing stuff out of right. the realm to cause problems for ourselves. Right. I, I agree, but isn't that the... You know, when you figure out how to get people to understand things, I will I will set up counseling with you because I want to learn. You, you can't get people to understand things. I mean, sometimes you're dealing with men and women that are mature adults but are immature in life. And, and I mean, how do I explain to my three-year-old to share toys? You know, why is it? And I, and I tell you, I'm gonna, I, I got two thoughts going through my head, and i got to write these down because I will forget both of them. And um, I'm going to go with the second one first. You mentioned health, and I just want to use this example, and I've used this example many times before. A, a, a wonderful man of God by the name of Ed Gaines, who I loved and respected. He was a mentor to me as a pastor. Uh, he was on dialysis for years, dialysis for years. And he talked about how certain lifestyle choices he made brought upon his kidneys not working. So, he, when he got saved, the assumption was, God's going to heal me. Because I'm a Christian now, and all this other type of stuff. And then he realized, once he got saved, God was not going to heal him of the dialysis issue. That he was actually going to use that to be a light and a witness. And Ed talked all the time about how many doctors and nurses he got a chance to share Christ with. Because when you're hooked up to that machine for hours, they're not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere, and we're going to talk about the Lord. So I guess what I'm saying to you is, that's an example of someone bringing consequences on in their own life. But then when they get born again and save, God says, I can use that consequence now as a greater plan to further the kingdom. So, what you've said about some heart issues is, you're saying that those are consequences you may have brought on, but you also don't know what the future holds and how God may use that as a witness and a testimony through some of the stuff you've gone through. And you've actually got up here before and shared stuff, and people have been impacted by that. And that's part of the plan of what God has in store. Now, the, second, the first part that I was going to talk about, now, see, I even wrote it down. I'm looking now what I wrote down, saying, what was I going to say about that? We're going to skip that one, and we're just going to move on. Tina. I have a friend that was very busy, worked a lot. She went to a lot of places, very busy. And her health would start horribly. And what she has come to the conclusion of is that now, even though she thought she was walking close to the Lord, now mm. Closer. Amen. Amen. God takes the adversity in our lives. And I was explaining it actually to a cell the other day. She said, Leave that we alone. You're going to make it stronger. Adversity makes us stronger. If you love the Lord and trust Him. Yeah. And it helps us make you stronger in the Lord. And that is the achievement of the Lord. But it's still our choice. I mean, there right. are Right. If if you got, I'll just read this to you real quick. It, what, hearing Tina and you talk there reminds me of Romans five, where it says this: Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. 
And as we go through trials and tribulations, it does grow us as a Christian. And I can go through passage after passage after passage. First Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, these fiery trials are growing you. James chapter 1 says, do not let these trials and tribulations bring you down. They are growing you. So what happens is it goes back to our definition of good. Lord, I look at my life. This is not good. God says this is actually good because when you come out of this, you're going to be stronger than you could ever imagine before. And we have to trust his definition of good, not our definition of good. Count it all joy when you fall into very trials and tribulations. James 1 there. So any other quick questions, comments about the plan? Okay, now I think this is where we start to struggle. Okay, Lord, why? Why then? What is going on with this? Look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. See, God also promises he will communicate to you about the plan. He says he will. Now, he may not reveal every single detail, but he will also communicate to you. I love James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I've used that verse a lot when talking to people and saying, if you want to know what the Lord has in store for your life, spend more time with Him. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Start to serve. Be in worship. Draw near to Him. And as you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. Now, I'm going to be honest. This is what I normally hear back. Why well, tried that? Well, how long did you try it for? Tried it for a few days. doesn't work. I'm talking weeks. I'm talking months. I'm talking years. And I'm also going to be honest. You may go your life and not have every why question answered. You draw near to God and He draws near to you. Sometimes the plan is not revealed until years, maybe even decades afterwards. But in the middle of it, you trust that He's not going to give you a plan of evil, disaster, and harm on you. Look at the rest here of Jeremiah. So we call upon Him, we pray. Think of the blessing. We can talk to God. Wait, with the first point we said tonight, God thinks of you. Unbelievable. Now go one step further. You get to talk to him. And not even talk to him. Look at the next part right here. If you call upon me and pray to me, I will listen. He listens to you. I can call upon every major world leader. I mean, there's a, there's a phone number for the White House. I can, I can write a letter to any major world leader I want. They're not going to listen to me, but I can call upon them. You have not only the ability to talk to God, God chooses to listen to you. That is absolutely amazing. To think that God thinks of you, that you can talk to Him, and that He will listen. And as you seek Him, look at verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We can seek God and we can find God. God does not play hide-and-go-seek. And I see sometimes Christians come up with this mindset, well, I'm looking for God, I'm searching for what He wants, and He's just not doing anything. He's not hiding from you. He will reveal it in, in his time. I, and i got to be honest. I've talked to, to, to atheists about this, and this comes up. And I remember an atheist told me one time, he goes, you Christians have it so easy. And he said, if things happen, you say, praise the Lord, he answered. If things don't happen, you say, praise the Lord, he'll answer in his time. If something bad happens, you say, praise the Lord, because God's going to use this for good. And I said, I agree with that. I, I, I said, we're actually agreeing with more than what you think. I said, that's true. I, I firmly believe that. If God reveals the plan, praise the Lord. If the plan's not good, I do trust He's going to use it for good. If the plan's good, just, hey, praise you. That's the beauty of this. And now the problem is to the world, it's a simplistic mindset that just walks in faith. 
and I don't disagree with that. I am a simplistic mind that walks in faith. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. I trust the Lord. Put this all together. God thinks about me. God has a plan for me. I love it. Next one. It's a good plan, a prosperous plan, a peaceful plan. It is not evil. It's not disastrous. It's not harmful. And it gives me a future and a hope. Amen. God says I can ask him about it by calling and praying out to him. God says he'll listen to me. And God says when I seek him, I will find it. One translation says this in verse 13. When you search for me with all your heart, one translation says when you search for me wholeheartedly. Now, I don't want to be judgmental, and I don't want you to feel I'm stepping on toes, but just be honest. When you're seeking the Lord on what He has in store for you, can you honestly say you're seeking wholeheartedly? See, there's been times in my spiritual walk where I've said, Lord, I'm praying. I'm not really praying. I mean, I'm praying. I mean, Lord, I gave you 10 seconds. Oh, I've been in the Word. Yeah, I read one verse. See, that, that idea of seeking wholeheartedly, I think this is where a lot of Christians, we fail because we don't give it the time, energy, and resources it needs. These verses promise me that if I seek the Lord, I will find the Lord. If I draw near the Lord, I will come near the Lord. He promises that. He promises He has a plan. He promises it's good. And if Satan is getting into your mindset right now to try to dissuade you of this and to try to say, Nope, He has got you set for life and your life is going to be horrible. You'll never get over that health problem. You'll never get married. You'll never get a job. You'll never have friends. You'll never have this. You'll never have that. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Because the Lord says, I have a plan for you, and it's peaceful, it's good, and it's prosperous. And He says, trust me. So, even though I did not want to do Jeremiah 29, 11, 13, you, you can't skip those verses. They're too good. And we're only scratching the surface in those verses. What a study it could be just to keep delving into them. But remember the context of these verses. It's Jeremiah being led by the Lord to write to the captives in Babylon, saying, even though it looks dark right now, trust the Lord. Trust the plan. And what a beautiful set of passages those are. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up with a word of prayer? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And Lord, I pray that we could trust this plan. Whatever plan you have for our life, whatever it is, I pray that we could trust it. That Lord, we pray that you would reveal the big picture. And if you choose not to, we pray that we could trust in the little slivers that you give us. Bind the enemy from trying to convince us that this is a plan of evil and harm. And Lord, we pray it's a plan that we can trust you and walk in. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for thinking of us for listening to us and responding to us. Thank you, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.